It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Mission impeachable. Good morning, Mr. Hunt. Several high-ranking members of the Democratic Party are attempting to seize control of the government of the United States by legitimate means. They plan to use a free press, open discussion of the issues, and the universal franchise in an all-out effort to win the presidency. Should they succeed, all our efforts to repeal the Bill of Rights, pack the Supreme Court with right-wing morons, intimidate the media, suppress dissent, halt social progress, promote big business, and crush the Congress will be destroyed. Your mission, E, should you choose to accept it, is to stop these men once and for all by ensuring that the weakest of them, Senator George McGovern, wins the nomination and then sabotaging his campaign by any possible means. You will have at your disposal electronic bugging equipment, burglary tools, wigs, voice alteration devices, a camera disguised as a tobacco pouch, forged documents, a safe house, 500 loyal but clumsy Cubans, and $2 million in $100 bills. As always, if any member of your CIA force is caught or killed, the president will disavow any knowledge of your activities. This administration will self-destruct in 16 months. Good luck, Howie. Hail to the chief, he's the chief and he needs hailing. He is the chief, so everybody hail like crazy. Hail to that's more or less Hail to the chief, if you don't, I'll have to kill you. I am the chief, so you better watch your step. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. And, uh, I w- you know, normally uh, with Father's Day coming up this weekend, I would be doing a Father's Day show. But uh, we're going to do that Monday instead, and it's going to be a real good one. We're going to have some encore interviews with uh, the son and daughters of um, some very well-known people, including uh, Mark Shriver, Sergeant Shriver's son, Sergeant Shriver, of course, uh, President Kennedy's brother-in-law, who was the first... uh, uh, director of uh, the Peace Corps, and then also um, Rod Serling's daughter, Anne, and um, 
from a previous uh, Father's Day show. And uh, Vincent Price's daughter, Victoria, plus we're going to talk with a guy who's written a book about a trip across country with his dad. But today, we pay tribute to one of the biggest uh, political scandals of all time, Watergate. Um, <clears throat> the burglary and subsequent arrest of the burglars that led to the Watergate scandal, the hearings, the impeachment, Nixon's resignation. That burglary took place 50 years ago today. So I called the archives and pulled, you know, a couple of things that were relevant, uh, I thought, including uh, coming up in the middle, uh, Joan Brady's uh, interview about the... Uh, Alger Hiss uh, treason case that she claims uh, was the, the case that made Nixon famous. And, and we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. First up, we're going to talk with George Liebman about uh, four failed presidencies. They don't include Nixon's, I don't think, but we may touch on it in the uh, in the conversation but coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour and I'm really excited about this and and I hope it comes through because sometimes you know you feel like the confirmations for interviews are a little soft and this particular uh, guest has a lot going on today because it's the 17th anniversary of the Watergate break-in and he has a new movie coming out uh, very soon and I saw a screener of it uh, just recently and it's really good it's uh, 18 and a half a Watergate story and and what it is it it's a political thriller based on the premise that somebody inadvertently gets their hands on the famous uh, 18 and a half missing uh, tape from the the Watergate tapes and um, it's it's kind of an interesting and very different story. So, the uh, the film company is based in Detroit, which makes it kind of a close to home sort of thing. And the um, uh, head of that uh, film company, which I think is called, uh, let's see, what is it? Um, Kaiba Films uh, is based in Detroit, and um, the head of that, the film's, uh, the film company founder and an executive producer of the film is Tel Ganison. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Could be Ganison. Um, but uh, he is scheduled to be with me during the 11 o'clock hour. Now, if that doesn't happen, uh, I have a couple of uh, uh, encores in, uh, in queue should um, I not be able to connect with Tell during the um, during the third half of our three-hour tour. But in any event, we're going to uh, uh, at least pay some tribute to the fact that this is the 50th anniversary. It's hard for me to to really even grapple with the idea that I remember the Watergate break-in and the fallout from it from watching it on television and following the news accounts. And that was 50 years ago. I, I, thought, I, I thought I felt old when I started thinking of things in terms of 20 and 25 years ago. But 
50 years ago today, the Watergate burglars bumbled their way into uh, U.S. political history, and we're going to pay tribute to that. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about some recent failed presidencies. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, my guest this hour is, uh, let's see, how can we put this, um, a Baltimore lawyer uh, with the firm of Liebman and Shively. He is uh, a graduate of uh, Dartmouth and uh, the University of Chicago Law, and uh, he's written extensively on uh, political things. Um, his newest book, which we're going to talk about this morning, uh, I believe it's his newest book, although he is somewhat prolific. He may have <laughs> some more since this one came out, but Vox Clementis in Deserto is the name of the book, which uh, uh, it translates to mean a voice crying in the wilderness. It is the uh, Dartmouth um, motto, I believe. And uh, joining me by phone is its author, uh, George Liebman. George, welcome to the show. Good morning. Oh, it's good to talk to you. Um, now, as I understand it, this this book is um, a collection of uh, about approximately 30 years worth of uh, essays and opinion columns chronicling the failings of the past four presidential administrations. Um, how, how did this idea come to you, George, to, to put this collection together and to add a couple of your own? Well, it, it seemed to me that it was uh, the pieces clung together in a way because they all dealt with the inadequacies of presidential leadership. And rather than leave them scattered, it seemed to me that the whole was somewhat greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, I think we have a, a real problem in this country in terms of the way we select the head of state. Uh, and the problem, I think, really began with the ascendancy of the direct primary uh, in really in 1960, uh, when uh, John Kennedy defeated uh, Lyndon Johnson and Hubert Humphrey, uh, both of whom were uh, considerably more experienced uh, than he was and were in many respects deeper people than he was. And since then, we've had a series of uh, candidates like Kennedy who would never have emerged as nominees in the day of the true political convention, or if you want to be pejorative about it, the smoke-filled room. Uh, no uh, political convention or smoke-filled room would have nominated uh, Barry Goldwater, um, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, uh, Donald Trump, George Bush the Younger, um, all of these people were either unknown to the national political class, if you will, or uh, were all too well-known in the sense that their personal defects and limitations were well-known. And yet they became president thanks to the direct primary. Um, when the direct primary began to be instituted, uh, uh, William Howard Taft, who was then the president and was a violent opponent of it, 
predicted that that the result would be that people of little experience would be nominated, that money would play a much greater role than it otherwise would, and uh, that the consequences would not be good because conventions of office holders usually choose the more moderate candidate. Uh, this is not so of primaries. And uh, the results have really gotten serious. I mean, we've had a whole series of presidential candidates and even vice presidential candidates who, um, put bluntly, shouldn't have been there and would never have risen, risen to the top in a parliamentary system. When you look at the people who have been uh, chancellors of Germany, for instance, or prime ministers of Great Britain. Do you think that uh, Joe Biden fits that mold, or is is he a return to the kind of choices that might have been made in a smoke-filled room? I think he, I, you know, I think he is a return to the smoke-filled room uh, uh, to a considerable degree, and I think that came about. Uh, simply because of the sheer number of candidates. I think uh, it almost became a reductio ad absurdum of the primary process. Uh, uh, and it was sort of a piece of exhaustion that he was uh, nominated. But <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it, George. But yet we didn't see the same phenomenon in uh, uh, 2016 with Donald Trump and his uh, 16 fellow primary candidates in the Republican you know, I Party. Think, uh, I think the media nominated Donald Trump. I think, uh, um, and I, I don't know this is a, whether this is a fashionable view, but I think uh, many people in the media wanted the weakest possible Republican candidate and saw him as almost a figure of fun who would fit that mold. And I think he was, uh, in many ways, the weakest possible Republican candidate. I think if, uh, for example, John Kasich had been the nominee, then the election wouldn't have been close. Uh, but um, we got Trump, uh, and uh, uh, he, he would have been the last person uh, who, would, who would have been chosen by the uh, Republicans in Congress or the Republican governors. I think the only... Republican politician of any prominence who endorsed him was John Sessions, was Senator Sessions, and we know what happened to him. Uh, it's uh, quite quite a remarkable phenomenon, and I think it's still true. The media is fascinated by Trump, understandably so. I mean, he's very entertaining, but uh, nobody else can grow in that shadow when so much of uh, publicity about politics centers on this one person. He takes up a lot of the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly other people in the in the Republican Party. Uh, Senator Sass, for example, of, of I guess it's Nebraska. Uh, Kasich, even though he's out of office. Um, some of the uh, Republican governors, DeWine in Ohio, uh, Hogan in Maryland, Baker in Massachusetts, uh, who are who have done a good job, but who just uh, are unknown and uh, get, you know, 1% of the attention that Trump gets. And uh, the congressional leaders, uh, of course, are better known. But even so, it, uh, it, it does limit the public's choices to a considerable degree when you have this fascination with uh, one person. More with author George Liebman straight ahead.
Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew and discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? 
So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author George Liebman straight ahead. George, why these um, why these four presidents, Clinton, Bush, Obama, and uh, Trump? Is it um, just because of recent memory, availability of material, um, well, showing a trend? Yeah. I started writing, uh, you know, for op-ed pieces about 20, 25 years ago. And uh, I thought the four together uh, illustrated the same phenomenon. They had the advantage of being two from each party. Uh, and they all four in different ways were really uh, not qualified for the offices they held and together have done a great deal of harm to American politics. So let, me, let me go through them one by one. Yeah, please. Uh, Clinton, uh, Clinton uh, was very young. Uh, he uh, was governor of a small state. His record in that state was not one of great achievement. Uh, uh, everybody knew about his philandering. Uh, uh, and he was, uh, you know, he was nominated. He, he had some unexciting opponents in the Democratic primary, but the press got fixated on him because he had some paper qualifications. He was a former Rhodes Scholar. Uh, but there was fundamentally no there there. He got through the primaries uh, on the basis of generalities, and when he got to be president, uh, there was no agenda. I mean, he started out with with gays in the military, which is not one of the greatest national problems, given the state of our high schools, for example. Um, and he kind of went on from there. And at the end of eight years, uh, there was really no record. Um, he uh, accommodated uh, deregulation to an excessive degree. He left behind a, a stock market bubble. He laid the foundation of the later banking crisis. Uh, the, uh, there were ta- corporate tax changes that uh, bore rather bitter fruit in shareholder buyouts and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and of course, um, he got involved in the Yugoslav Wars, which generated uh, millions of refugees and helped destabilize Western Europe. So uh, his was not exactly a glittering record in the last term was devoted largely to sitting in a bunker defending himself uh, against an impeachment effort. Then you had George W. Bush, who came from a weak governor state where the lieutenant governor is almost as powerful as the governor. Uh, No one thought he was a great leader of thought. Uh, He didn't start thinking seriously about politics or anything else until he was in his 40s. Until then, he had a rather serious drinking problem. And again, he is not a candidate who would have emerged in any parliamentary system uh, as a leader of a party. Then you had Mr. Obama, who was, if possible, even less experienced. Uh, He had been a 
Illinois state legislature, legislator where he, uh, his, he was noted for dodging tough issues. He was a senator for a very brief period. And uh, uh, again, when he assumed office, uh, it was the same syndrome that affected George W. Bush and Clinton and Jack Kennedy, the what-the-hell-do-I-do-now syndrome. <laughs> he, he was not a person who arrived with an agenda. I mean, whatever one may think of Lyndon Johnson, for, for instance, he, he knew what he wanted to do. The same thing, I think, was true of Reagan. It was true of Nixon. Uh, uh, it was certainly true of Roosevelt and Hoover. But uh, when you get someone who's very light on experience and is not particularly intellectual and gets nominated because of the liberty, uh, you get this bewilderment. And uh, what uh, what uh, Obama you know, Obama chose uh, health care as his project. Why I don't know. I mean, to my mind. As I said, the state of education in this country, particularly high school education, is a much more serious problem. But uh, you know, he chose health care as his project. He came up with this great sprawling bill that cost an enormous amount of money and did nothing for public health properly so-called, as we saw at the time of the COVID epidemic, when uh, it turned out that very little money had been invested in uh, the Center for Disease Control and public health properly so-called. Uh, uh, I, I heard, uh, I think it was the head of the World Bank at the time, uh, uh, Kim, uh, at one point made a speech saying that uh, if you assembled all the public health experts in the country, or at least the leading ones, and asked them how the money that had been spent on Obamacare could have been spent for public health, none of them would want anything like Obamacare. Obamacare was a piece of consumer legislation. It was it helped some people's pocketbooks, but in terms of suppressing disease, in terms of dealing with uh, venereal disease epidemics, uh, lead point lead paint poisoning, uh, uh, diabetes and obesity, um, it had no effect at all. It had nothing to do with those things. And uh, it was essentially, in those terms, a waste of money. It relieved people's financial anxieties, but it didn't uh, much ease their pain or help them live longer. So his was, I think, a failed administration. And he also managed to exacerbate weight racial problems because his formula was one that relied so heavily on the black vote. He had awakened to the fact that... uh, uh, blacks are a 13% minority, but since they almost all vote Democratic, uh, this meant that they were at least a 25 or 30% minority in Democratic primaries, which meant that uh, a candidate who could mobilize that vote was halfway to the Democratic nomination. And that was his formula. So his formula was one that was really heavily dependent on mobilizing blacks and the only problem was that in the process of mobilizing blacks, uh, he exacerbated uh, racial tensions, uh, and uh, so his legacy was not a very positive one. And then uh, Mr. Trump, I mean, uh, Mr. Trump was a protest candidate, uh, fundamentally. Um, his protest was about immigration.
immigration, trade, the loss of manufacturing jobs, careless wars, and an excessively rambunctious Supreme Court. And his issues were good issues, but again, uh, because of his strange personality and inexperience, uh, he was needlessly ham-handed and divisive in advancing his causes. Uh, this, I think, was particularly true of immigration. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, fundamentally, in the end, his personality did himself did himself in. I don't think he lost the election on issues. He lost it because he was the erratic person he was. So uh, I don't think uh, the record of the last... Uh, uh, 28 years in terms of our leadership in this country has been a terribly good one. And again, I think the selection process has a great deal to do with it because it, the primary system gives an enormous amount of power to the mass media as distinct from the local political organizations. And it gives an enormous amount of people who, uh, power to people who don't really know the candidates. And uh, the result is we have this very, these very inadequate leaders. Could George W. Bush have gotten the nomination had his father not fairly recently been president? No, I think clearly the answer to that is no. Uh, um, you know, I think uh, the name counted for something. And uh, uh, now Jeb Bush might have, but of course Jeb Bush had lost his race in Florida, and so they fell back on George W., which was a great misfortune. Do you think Jeb, Jeb had uh, had more skills than... than uh... Yeah, I think he had more substance. He had a very good record, I think, on education, for example. Uh, again, he was not a dramatic or compelling personality, but I think he would have been a reasonably effective president in terms of uh, congressional relations. He certainly would have had an education program that would have been far better than the one that George W. Bush came forth with that now has totally disappeared. Uh, I think his congressional relations would have been much better. Uh, he was simply more skilled and, and, uh, and again, uh, better educated. He didn't, didn't waste 15 or 20 years uh, uh, as a non-serious person. Uh, you know, it's interesting. When I was first looking over uh, material for uh, our conversation, about your book, and I want to mention the name again, Vox Clementis in Deserto, and uh, we're going to, um, and, and I want to talk about that title with you too, George, but um, it, it reminds me, I did an interview with a, with a local activist who had been complaining about the mayor, and asked him, and, and I think he was even maybe pushing a recall, and I asked him, if he thought the previous mayor did a better job and he said no and and as i asked him he went back th I, I, we went back through about a half a dozen previous mayors and he would have impeached or uh, recalled all of them <laughs> well, well I, i'm not uh, i'm not of that school uh, i mean i think that uh, up until really uh, uh, up until Clinton, we had at least passable leaders in the post-war period, and and some leaders of some distinction. I think, uh, you know, Roosevelt, Truman, and Eisenhower, and 
in his uh, frequently misguided way, Johnson and Nixon, were people of real substance. Uh, you know, I don't think that can be said of the people we've had since. I mean, uh, once, uh, I, you know, I think Reagan uh, was a person of substance in that he had been governor of California and he knew what he believed and he had a serious agenda, whether people agreed with it or not. But I think the people we've had since then have been fundamentally non-serious in addition to being uh, having limited experience. And now we think, is the election of, of Joe Biden um, situational, or is it the pendulum uh, swinging back that, that we're changing our expectations? Well, I think he, he has some assets, obviously. Um, he's been... A, over time, a very mercurial politician. He has a tendency to go with the flow. And I think to the extent that he's getting himself into trouble, it's, a, it's on the social issues. Uh, he has sort of gone, gone whole hog on the culture war, which I think is a great mistake because, because of the economy and COVID, he had a chance to reconstruct the Roosevelt coalition and bring back into the fold a great many uh, Southerners and Roman Catholics in the North. And because of his doubling down on the culture war, which is re which really involves what should be state and local issues, he's losing that opportunity. So we're going to continue to have this sort of 50-50 division in the country, which I think is a misfortune. Uh, I do think that... Uh, uh, the pendulum on economic issues has definitely swung back in the direction of uh, greater equality and disenchantment with uh, uh, too much uh, laissez-faire. And um, you know, I think that's a healthy thing. And for that reason, I think his administration may be a healthy development. I think he's restrained in foreign policy, and I think that's a healthy development, uh, as was Trump in his, in his way. But um, in terms of healing the divisions in the country, I think he's missing an opportunity. Now, the title of the book, George, Vox Clementis in Deserto, um, as I understand it, it translates to mean a voice crying in the wilderness. I've seen uh, some definitions that say a voice crying in the desert. Um, but how did you come to select that? I mean, it, it is... Well, the... it, is, it is, as you pointed out, the, the motto of uh, Dartmouth College, where I, where I went. But uh, basically, it's, it was out of frustration. Uh, when you're in a provincial city, and Baltimore, although it's a large city, is a provincial city, it's very hard to make your voice, your voice heard on a national basis. And when you do, it's sort of fortuitous. I've, I've been involved particularly when I was much younger in a number of major national controversies. But uh, in recent years, I've found that you, if you can't publish in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, or the Washington Post, it's very difficult to, uh, to get a hearing uh, for one's ideas. And I'm sure you've discovered that uh, from many of your guests. And no matter what you say, you're sort of in a desert. So I think frustration accounts for the title to some extent. Um, is is that 
a, a trend going forward? Is it, is it saying something editorially about the voice of reason? Yes. I mean, um, I, I think that the media have really never been more, even though people say the Internet gives everybody a voice, it really doesn't. Uh, the, it gives everybody you, a microphone. It doesn't yeah, really help them, them with what to no. say. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And when you've got uh, Amazon with 70 or 80% of the book market, you have uh, uh, five publishers, uh, and if a pending merger goes through four publishers that control an enormous percentage of the book publishing industry, you have uh, the New York Times and two other papers that really... Uh, set the tone for journalism. You have Facebook with, a, with 80 or 90 percent penetration and Google the same way. You have these uh, essentially monopoly media. Um, there's an enormous amount of power there. And, I, and it gets worse and worse because they, they become less and less humble. I mean, the New York Times thinks it can redefine history uh, with the 1619 Project, redefine language by requiring everybody to capitalize the word black. Um, uh, and you have uh, you have uh, Amazon refusing to carry certain books on controversial subjects. And you have Facebook uh, not only uh, censoring the more outrageous statements of President Trump, but refusing to let him tweet at all, which... Uh, you know, has received criticism from Angela Merkel and Bernie Sanders, among others, and quite properly so, uh, you really don't have uh, freedom of discussion to the extent we once did in this country. To to what degree, George, do you think that the public is a uh, co-conspirator uh, in that, in that... Uh, the things that seem controversial for controversy's sake um, seem to to attract more attention than things of substance. Well, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that's true to a considerable degree. Uh, uh, I think. The, the campaign finance system, and particularly the prevalence of television and uh, you know 15-second political commercials, hasn't been helpful. Uh, I think uh, other countries have done a much better job with that. I think the British uh, don't let people buy commercials unless they're five minutes long. Uh, if you can't afford a five-minute commercial, you can buy one smaller one. But uh, it makes for a more, much more intelligent political campaign than what we have in this country, which are, um, I think the historian John Lukacs said that uh, you once had campaigns based on issues, and now you had, then you had campaigns based on personalities. And then lately you just have campaigns that are based on publicity, the sheer volume of publicity. Uh, and that's certainly not a sign of great progress. When you have uh, when you have a, a great number of people, and this is something that's been troubling me for a while, is the idea that there's a lack of trust, uh, trust by the public in uh, elected officials and agency and, and business leaders. 
um, lack of trust even in science and, and statistics and, and other uh, uh, data, the, the evolution of so-called fake news and alternative facts. How do you not be a voice crying in the wilderness? Well, the, you know, the lack of trust and the cynicism, uh, I, I think it partly comes from perceived lack of legitimacy of the leadership in the sense that uh, you're not being led by people who have uh, come up because of the approval of people who know them. Uh, the original American system and James Madison's system was a system based on filtering, as it was called, in which uh, people at low levels in politics were examined by those above them and promoted accordingly. And that's really the way a parliamentary system works. The Prime Minister of Great Britain and the Chancellor of Germany are not elected by the public. Uh, they're elected by parliamentarians who know about them, who know, know what their foible, foibles are. And when people are picked in that way, it's harder to take cheap, cheap shots at them. Uh, whereas when, when you get every Tom, Dick, and Harry may land in high office, uh, you get a lot of people who tract and in many instances deserve uh, cheap shots. That's, that's, I think, part of the problem, the way we select leadership. And that's something that something can be done about. That doesn't require a constitutional amendment. It's within the power of both political parties simply by changing their rules to make the selection of presidential candidates, the selection of the local, state, and congressional office holders, which is the way it once was. And that produced different results. For, for instance, in 1952, uh, Estes Kefauver won most of the Democratic primaries, and yet Hadley Stevenson was the nominee and it was widely known among the uh, uh, political class that Kefauver, among other things, drank too much. And that had more than a little to do with the, with the outcome. Uh, that kind of filtering doesn't happen anymore. More with author George Liebman, straight ahead. <laughs> i 
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show Oh yeah Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people. And we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My Robocall Crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. And if you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee. Health plan with blood technology. My community college is pure mission. 
Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. More with author George Liebman straight ahead. Do you think that these uh, these four presidents uh, that, that are highlighted by the book, um, Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump, uh, have contributed to the lack of trust or perhaps done little to uh, change it or earn trust? Yeah, I think that's clearly true. I think you know, I, had some, I had some British cousins and at the time of the Clinton impeachment uh, they said, well, this, this sex scandal seems very silly to us. But, of course, if he lied to a grand jury, he will have to resign. Well, of course, he didn't. And that really debased politics, I think, of that particular uh, decision. And in, in Obama's case, there was the resort to executive orders and, and uh, to the judiciary as a means of bringing about change in preference to... Uh, um, persuading Congress. Uh, uh, Congress was more or less treated during the Obama administration as though it didn't exist. And the same, the same was even more true of the state legislatures. Uh, the Democrats you know, lost most of the state legislatures, and, uh, and they lost them because uh, state politics uh, to the political class were a matter almost of indifference. And so you wind up with a situation where there's all this focus on who happens to be the president and less and less focus on the uh, the issues which once defined the purposes of a political party. George, how did you select the uh, the essays to include in this collection? Well, I, uh, I thought the ones that had the greatest, you know, Contemporary, the, the, the related issues that are still live issues are the ones that I picked. Um, I didn't have an infinite number to choose from, but I had probably a hundred more that I could have used. But uh, uh, that's really how uh, how they were chosen. And then the collection also includes about twenty uh, lengthy book reviews and three uh, three essays on other subjects. One is about the Kennedy administration. One is about the original design of the UN. And the third is about the legacy of Nazi Germany. Um, but uh, it's it's really an effort to take a longer view of the last 30 years. And I, I think readers will be interested in it. As I indicated, it's published by Amazon, and it's you can get it you can get it for $22 online in paperback or for $10 in a Kindle. And uh, I think people will certainly find some parts of it interesting if they don't find it all interesting. Uh, and it is it is a kind of s- series of snapshots of different things that all involve the same problem. 
Well, I, I, f I find the whole idea uh, fascinating. And, and George, um, we're just pretty much out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we're talking about. Obviously, the book, Vox Clementis in Deserto by George Liebman, is uh, a great place to start. But, um, George, do you have a website where people can get to know a little bit more about you and your work, well, past, present, and future? I have a, a, a website uh, for a think tank that I've run called the Calvert Institute. It's www.calvertinstitute.org which has basically all my op-eds for the last 20 years or so. But also, if you go on Amazon, you will find a listing of my books. I've written about 10 or 12 books on law and history, uh, one called Diplomacy Between the Wars, and one is a biography of John Negroponte, who was a classmate of mine 50 years ago. And then there are, there's a book called The Common Law Tradition that's about five University of Chicago law professors of the 50s and their reaction to the Brown versus Board of Education decision. And um, people who are interested will find the books interesting. Um, well, George... I have, I, I have really favored biography as a, uh, as, as a way of writing about politics because it leads you to places that you wouldn't go if you were just selecting historical facts on the basis of your prior knowledge. Well, George, thanks so much for sharing a little time with me this morning, and uh, best of luck with the book and, and all of your work. Well, thank you, and I, I think your questions have been very thoughtful and, uh, and interesting. And I know that uh, you, you're in a community that has suffered from dubious political leadership at times, so I suspect some of the things I've said will resonate. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that, George. We uh um the the area has uh, some some definite trust issues. Well I wish you luck and I'm I'm sure you were a great influence for good and I, I do thank you for this opportunity. All right. Take care. Author George Liebman's uh, book Vox Clementis in Deserto or a voice crying in the wilderness. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. So do you feel it? You all got a heart beating inside your chest. That means you can feel the music, you can feel the rhythm. What a difference a day made. 24 little hours. Under the sunshine and the flowers. Well, there you still be raining. My yesterday was blue, dear. Now I'm a part of you, dear, 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 dear. All my lonely lives are through, dear. Since you said you were mine Oh, my, what a difference a day made I see a rainbow before me here Skies up above, there won't be storm here Until that moment of bliss Oh, that thrilling, thrilling kiss When it's heaven when you Find romance on your menu Talking about a difference a day 
Just 24 little hours from the sun Brought me the flowers that you used to be rain My yesterday blue dear now I, 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 I'm a part of you dear My lonely lonely nights are through dear Since you said you were mine Oh my what a difference today I see a rainbow before me skies above Will there won't be that moment of bliss Oh, let me kiss It's heaven when you When you find romance There on your men You would have Program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs> 